0: It's time again for another episode of WRBH's Figure of Speech, where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. Take a listen. My name is Paula Jones, and I write under the pen name E.J. Mara. I've been writing for as long as I can remember. I wrote stories when I should have been doing homework, listening to my teachers, eating, sleeping, and so on. As an adult, I remain happily devoted to the art of storytelling by writing young adult novels that are more like coming-of-age stories with a sci-fi twist. My current project is a series called The South Louisiana High Book Series. It's about a fictional small town in South Louisiana that's filled with locals who claim to have been eyewitnesses of alien encounters. And the series follows several high school students who see more than they should and end up with a front-row seat to what's really going on in their town. Now, one of these students is 16-year-old Drew Everett, Her story is called Almost Famous. She's not a native of Louisiana. She is from Beverly Hills, California, where she works as a teen actress. But when Drew is forced to move to a small town called Swamp Roads, Louisiana, her entire life changes. She finds love, mad scientists, and an extraterrestrial being with a penchant for murder. So Drew's got her hands full. Here's the beginning of her story. Present day, March 2nd, 2015, Swamp Rose, Louisiana. Okay, here's the truth. Whether Benjamin Morris is in love with me or not, I love him and I refuse to let him die. I never thought I could love anyone, let alone Ben. But that's exactly what's happened, and that's why I've just knocked on the door of our pervy history teacher's ratty apartment. This is all for a 16-year-old Star Wars-obsessed geek named Ben. Ben. I take a deep breath and meet Mr. Brown's beady eyes. He's waiting for me to answer his question. Drew, the female voice that nearly deafens my left eardrum is not Mr. Brown's. It belongs to a South Louisiana high cheerleader named Mia Reeves, and it is way too loud as it comes through the tiny earpiece we bought from Tech Mania. Why aren't you saying anything, Mia demands. Tell Mr. Brown, yes, you do want to come in for a cup of coffee. As much as I despise Mia, she's right. I've been standing here for nearly 10 seconds in silence. I need to move this along. Ben's life depends on it. So I adjust my backpack on my shoulders and offer our history teacher my sweetest smile. Mr. Brown tries to return it, but his grin looks more like a grimace, and a brief expression of panic takes hold of his features. I've definitely startled him showing up on his doorstep like this. I don't usually drink coffee, but since you offered... I let my voice trail off, step out of his doorway, and saunter across the rust-colored carpet that fills his dingy apartment. I pass his mud-colored couch and make my way to a brick wall where he's got a mantel shelf filled with framed pictures and dust bunnies. Below this is a miniature fireplace that looks like it hasn't been used in years. I repress a sneeze. Yikes, this apartment is dustier than the inside of Mia's skull. Hurry up, Mia whispers. Get him to the, go to the kitchen. I roll my eyes at her bossiness and stand on my tiptoes to get a good look at one of the mantel shelf's framed pictures. If I'm going to somehow find and then steal Mr. Brown's hard drive without him noticing, the first thing I need to do is make him feel comfortable. Too comfortable to realize what I'm stealing. So Mia and her bossiness will just have to wait until I've worked my magic. I stare at the photo, which contains the younger version of my history teacher. He looks about 18, and in addition to a graduation cap and gown, he wears a fake smile. He stands squashed between a poorly dressed elderly man and woman who aim proud grins at the camera. I point to the picture. Is this you, Mr. Brown? No small talk, Drew. Just get him to go to the kitchen, Mia hisses. His bedroom is just past there, and it'll be easier to get to if you're already in the kitchen. I squelch my desire to rip my earpiece out and stomp it into oblivion. As much as I'd like to do this, it would be a bad move. So I just turn to Mr. Brown with an expectant smile. Yeah, he replies in that bizarre voice of his. That's me when I graduated from high school. I'd call Mr. Brown's voice horny, but then I wouldn't because it'd sound like I mean something else entirely. What I actually mean is that his voice sounds like a horn, nasally and soft and super annoying. Those people with you, are they your parents? I ask as I turn back to the picture. My aunt and uncle. Behind me, Mr. Brown's footsteps, careful and slow, tread across the carpet and stop a few feet away from me. I get it. He doesn't want to stand too close to the jailbait who's shown up at his doorstep on a Saturday afternoon. Well, good for him for not being as much of a creep as I expected. Still, though, I don't trust him. He radiates with that kind of ick vibe a girl just should not ignore. I shift my book bag on my shoulders and turn to him. They look really proud of you, your aunt and uncle. Yeah, he clears his throat and runs a pale hand along the unshaved scruff at his jaw. They're very supportive. Hopefully one day I'll have a picture of my aunt hugging me in my cap and gown. I widen my eyes in innocence and try not to think about the fact that I don't actually have an aunt. That's why I wanted to talk to you about tutoring, Mr. Brown. My grades are terrible, and I'm so scared I'm not going to pass. If I flunk, Celebrity Gossip will have a field day with that. They already post stories about my mother every week. Mr. Brown smiles and pushes his glasses up on his nose. I can't even imagine how rough that must be. But just because the media doesn't give you a break doesn't mean you have to be so hard on yourself, Drew. Your history grades are decent, and this is only your first year in a public school, right? Mr. Brown is being so nice that I almost feel bad about what I'm doing. Almost. Yeah, back home I had tutors, but they let me do whatever I wanted, and now that I'm in a regular school, I feel like I'm just, like, way behind everyone else. I see. Mr. Brown seems to relax a bit, and he nods. Well, 10th grade can be tough, especially in your situation. I don't have a problem with tutoring you maybe two or three nights a week, and... Drew! Mia's voice sounds in my ear and I try not to visibly wince while she shouts. We're calling his phone in 15 seconds. If you're not already in the kitchen, tell him you want the coffee and follow him to the kitchen right now. As much as I hate her, she's right. It's time to get moving. OMG, I almost forgot, I exclaim, interrupting Mr. Brown. I have an appointment across town in like 20 minutes, so would you mind if I got that coffee, and then I'd better head out so I won't be late. Oh, uh, sure. He heads to the kitchen, and I follow. All the while, I blast our would-be silence to smithereens by asking him whatever questions pop into my mind. I learned this trick from my mother. Although with her, it's not exactly a trick. It's more like my mother has no brain-to-mouth filter when she's been drinking. It's a great way to distract people from paying attention to what I'm doing. They get so confused by the tons of questions I'm asking them that they don't notice me grabbing their phone and rifling through their contacts for Bradley Cooper's number. Trust me, this works. Just ask Bradley Cooper. Do you like Starbucks, Mr. Brown? Are you more of a coffee, et cetera's fan? I ramble. I'd never even heard of coffee, et cetera's until I moved here. Back home, I practically lived at Starbucks. I love their hot chocolate. They have this great salted caramel hot chocolate. Have you ever tried it? And have you tried their pumpkin spice? Mr. Brown's kitchen is surprisingly nice. The cheerful colors, happy yellow and warm red, are a huge difference from his living room, which appears to have been drenched in brown. Across from me, on the far side of the kitchen, is the door to his bedroom. Just like Mia said, and I hear noise coming from it. It sounds like a television. Yes, I am a fan of a fan of Starbucks, and no, I've never tried their salted caramel hot chocolate, but that sounds good. He's reaching for the coffee pot, halfway turned to me when a phone rings in his living room. Perfect. I bite down on my bottom lip. I better get that, Mr. Brown says. Excuse me. Okay, I'll wait for you here, I grin. You do that, he winks. Gross. Trying trying not to look as uncomfortable as I feel, I fake a chuckle. He sets his coffee pot back down on the warming plate and returns to the living room. Did that fool really just wink at me? Shaking my head in disgust, I turn on my heel and head for the door from which television noises are emitting. Go through the door that's right by the calendar pinned to the wall, Mia whispers. That's Mr. Brown's bedroom. I know Mia, I retort. I'm looking right at it. How does she even know the layout of his apartment? I frown. Actually, considering the rumors I've heard about Mia, I don't even want to know the answer to that question. I creep into my history teacher's bedroom and look around. In the middle of the room is an unmade king-sized bed. It's light blue sheets strewn every which way. A small television is mounted to the wall across from the bed. One of my favorite Sonic commercials is on one of the funnier ones featuring two guys arguing about whether they should order tater tots or fries. I turn away from it and continue to scan the room, searching for Mr. Brown's laptop. It's got to be here somewhere. It has to. The only thing that will save Ben's life is that hard drive. My heart pounding, I turn to a dresser at my right. On top of it sits a picture of Mr. Brown's aunt and uncle, a current copy of the South Louisiana High yearbook, and a flip phone phone that looks like a relic from the early 2000s, but no hard drive. My heart takes a nosedive straight into my stomach. I need to find this stupid thing. Drew, Mia hisses, Kyle's got him on the phone for like 60 more seconds. You need to hurry up. I know, I whisper, shout, panic creeping into my voice. I turn to a small nightstand at the left of Mr. Brown's bed. Frantic, I scan its contents. An alarm clock, a lamp, a laptop with a hard drive, a self-help book. The hard drive, thank God. I race towards the tiny black device, pick it up. Relief washes over me. I'm Chad Block, a familiar voice announces. And this is a commercial for Late Night with Chad Block on MVS. The hard drive in hand and my panic temporarily allayed, I turn my attention to Mr. Brown's television. Chad Block's familiar smile stares back at me. Behind him, the late night set is just as I remember. It's hard to believe that less than six months ago, that's where I was. I had no idea who Benjamin Morris was, and I never even heard of a town called Swamp Rose, Louisiana. I was living in L.A., and I was almost famous. It was an entirely different life, and somehow it led to this. Chapter 1 Six Months Ago, September of 2014. All I'd ever wanted was to be a star. And now, this was my opportunity to shine. Drew, a whiny voice interrupted my thoughts, and I rolled my eyes. What? I snapped. As much as I wanted to ignore the voice, I couldn't. After all, who ignores their own mother? Lenora Everett was stretched out on one of the plush purple couches in the green room of America's most-watched late-night show. Late Night with Chad Block. And as usual, she was wasted. I can't believe you're here, Lenora drawled. She shoved a strand of her honey blonde hair out of her eyes. Everything about her seemed stuck in slow motion, her voice, her movements, even her every blink. My baby girl on Chad Block's show, I always knew your sister would make it. She's got my looks, but you? Who would have guessed you'd make it this far? I rolled my eyes and turned away from her. I couldn't let her ruin this. When one of the world's most prestigious filmmakers was depending on you to promote her movie on Chad Block's Late Show, you didn't let anything get in the way, not even your alcoholic mother. I straightened my posture, tuned out the sound of Lenora's voice, and forced my thoughts back to the Amelia Hearth film I shot last summer. Spending three months in a mosquito-infested Louisiana swamp, with an overly intense director, definitely had its downside. Amelia was a perfectionist, with a tendency to reshoot every scene 80 billion times. But her eccentricities also made her an Oscar-winning genius. And because of her, for the first time in my acting career, I'd starred in a buzzworthy feature film. So, with a killer black and gold Versace dress clinging to my curves, a sleek new haircut that celebrity gossip said, enunciated my cheekbones, and a simple black sharpie in my right hand, I peered at the other names on the cement wall Chad Block's stage manager had instructed me to sign. My gold, may the force be with you, engraved bracelets clanged against each other as I lifted a hand and prepared to add my autograph to the slew of famous signatures already on the wall. This was it. I was only 16 and I'd already made it. I steadied myself on my heels and signed the wall. I always knew I'd make it, even when the media insisted on comparing me to my older sister, and when I found myself stuck in typecast hell, only able to score roles as the, quote, sassy black friend in made-for-television movies, even then I'd known I'd make it. I was right. I scrawled my name on the bumpy cement, a chill shimmying down my spine. I wasn't nervous. I was just excited. I took a step back and appraised my work. My autograph was perfect. Bold and elegant, it sat between J.J. Abrams and Zac Efron's. Perfect. I'm right between the director of one of my favorite movies, Star Wars, and the cutest guy in Hollywood. I put the top on the Sharpie and tried to ignore the one very drunk problem who would not stop talking. You're on in what? Fifteen minutes? Where's your hair and makeup, lady? Lenora said, her voice loud and her words garbled. She should have been here at least thirty minutes ago. True, I agreed, glancing at the time on my phone. Actually, I think I'm on in less than five minutes. My heart skipped a beat. I took a quick selfie and examined it. Flawless. My anxiety lessened and I smiled. I didn't even need hair and makeup. Drew, Baby girl, I have to say, I hate those earrings on you. Here, wear mine. Come and get these earrings, baby. Lenora's slurred command was followed by a crashing noise a sound that was all too familiar. When you're raised by an actress who's been addicted to every prescription drug known to woman, you grow accustomed to the sound of a falling bottle of pills. I turned around and Lenora was slumped forward, trying to grab a fallen bottle of meds. Anger rose in my chest and I clenched my fists. Pills? She promised she was over that. She said her only problem left was alcohol. Lenora fell off the couch and onto the floor. It was the slowest and most pathetic tumble I'd ever seen, her large collagen-infused lips hitting the floor before the rest of her face. But I was too angry to laugh. Instead, I cursed under my breath. Why am I even surprised by this? I tossed the Sharpie onto a nearby chair and headed for my mother, unsteady on my four-inch heels as I teetered towards her. I tried to remind myself of the things her AA sponsor had explained. This isn't who Lenora really is. She has a disease, and what I'm seeing right now is the disease. But sometimes even those justifications didn't help. Sometimes they just felt like excuses. How could this be a disease when it was, some, it was something she chose? She decides to get high, and every time she does, she's deciding to ruin my life. Am I bleeding? I feel like I'm bleeding, Lenora drawled, her words barely understandable as she used both of her hands to paw around the linoleum. "'When did you take the pills?' I demanded as I stumbled over the fallen medication. "'Did you take them on the way here? I knew I shouldn't have taken separate cars.' I shook my head at my own stupidity. I thought I could leave her alone for a 45-minute car car ride. I thought, sure, I can let Chad Chad Block's limo pick me up and enjoy a peaceful Lenora-free ride to the studio. My mother can be trusted on her own for the length of a car ride. Why did I think that was possible?' I was an idiot for trusting her. Drew, it's not what you think, Lenora whined. The pills are for my scoliosis. Placing her palms flat on the floor, she finally managed to lift her top half up from the floor. I had to take something because my spine was trying to realign, and you don't have scoliosis, I snapped. The only thing you have is an addiction prop. Several pills rolled under the platform of my right shoe and sent me sliding forwards. I fell back and landed on my butt with a thud. At first, I didn't feel anything except shock. I just lay on the floor, staring at the green room ceiling and trying to catch my breath. A few feet away, I heard Lenora shout, My pills! That's when my butt and right arm began to throb. I groaned and pushed myself up with my good arm. Lenora was already back on her feet. Drew, get up, she ordered, her hands shaking while she pointed at me. Get off my pills, you're crushing them! Do you know how expensive those were? The pain in my arm worsened. This can't be happening. I'm supposed to be on live television in less than five minutes. I thought about my dance teacher, Winnie, and wish she were there with me instead of my mother. I could hear Winnie's voice. I could hear her say, Drew, you're a star. Act like one. I was a star. With Winnie's voice in my head, I grabbed the edge of a nearby chair and pushed myself to my feet. Pain shot from my shoulder to my elbow, and I cringed. The ache was so sharp it made my stomach turn. Mind over matter. If I told myself I was all right, eventually I'd really be all right. I glanced at Lenora as she popped one of the floor's half-crushed pills into her mouth, and an invisible weight sank down on my shoulders. I wished kids could choose their parents. Life would be so much easier if we could design our own DNA. Lenora adjusted her dress, and one of her boobs popped out. (sighs) But that wasn't the way it worked. We were supposed to make the best of what we'd been given and in my case, I'd gotten a DNA of nothing but failure, and I was somehow supposed to make the best of it. The green room door swung open and late night's headset-wearing stage manager, a woman named Dawn, rushed our way. Her gaze was glued to the clipboard in her hands as she said my name. Drew? Yes. Preparing myself, I straightened my spine. I might have Lenora's DNA, but that doesn't mean I have her weaknesses. Dawn's brown hair was pulled into a ponytail that swung from side to side as she hurried towards us. Her gaze still glued to the clipboard, she spoke quickly. "'Sorry it took me so long to get back here. We're running way behind, and you're on and—' Dawn finally looked up and her eyes widened. She came to an abrupt halt, her gaze going from Lenora, who was exposed, cross-eyed, and eating pills from the floor, to me. "'Dawn, I spoke with as much dignity as I can muster.' My mother is obviously very high at the moment, and as a result, she's suffered a bad fall. The petite stage manager's eyes were all over me, assessing my posture, my hair, my dress, my everything. I held her gaze while I continued. So, while I'm being interviewed, would you have someone sit with her to make sure she's okay? I'm not sure how many pills she took. Absolutely, I can arrange that. No worries. Dawn nodded, and without skipping a beat, she grabbed my arm. Come with me so I can get you to Chad. In fact, once you're on stage, I'll check you on your mom myself. Okay, perfect. I winced as, Wayne, as pain shot up my arm. "Are you alright?" Dawn asked, immediately releasing my arm. "Uh, I hurt my arm when I was trying to help my mother," I confessed. "But I'm I'm fine." "Are you sure?" Yes. My stomach turned and I stifled a rush of puke. Mostly Don't worry. You're going to do great, Drew. You're a pro. Dawn offered me a bright smile. It almost covered the panic in her eyes. But I'm an actress. I can spot a lie from a mile away. And Dawn's panic was legit. If I botched this interview, my screw-up wouldn't just come back to haunt me. But as a stage manager, Dawn would get in trouble too. She would be blamed for running behind schedule. Not to mention that a failed interview would upset Amelia Hearth and everyone who had invested in the movie she was trusting me to promote. So no matter how much I wanted to duck into a corner and vomit while crying over my possibly broken arm, I couldn't. I had to pull myself together and walk onto that stage with a thousand-watt smile. Dawn gestured to the door. Now, let's get to that stage as quickly as possible, okay? Yep, let's do this. I returned her smile with a gusto that I hoped to God looked real. Dawn rushed to the door ahead and I followed, wishing I'd worn flats. We made our way through several winding corridors and Dawn told me that some makeup artist named Breezy would catch up with us and give me a touch-up. Unfortunately, Breezy never showed up. And before I knew it, Dawn had come to a halt in a dark backstage corridor where Chad's voice surrounded us. We are so late. Chad's going to have my head, Dawn murmured while she fumbled with a tiny lapel mic. I shifted on my feet and listened to Chad's amplified voice as it rang out around us. And that's what Gaga thought, too. No, I'm joking. I love Lady Gaga. She's amazing. But Lady Gaga aside, our next guest has been referred to as Hollywood's next rising star. And Amelia Hearth called her the kind of actress every director loves to work with. Please put your hands together and welcome the star of Amelia Hearth's latest film, I Already Knew, Thunderous applause filled my ears, and Dawn, facing me as she stuck the tiny mic to the front of my dress, pointed to a well-lit area just ahead. Jabbing the air with her finger, she nodded in the same direction and whispered, You're mic'd and we're just in time. Go now. You've got this, Drew. Dear God, please don't let me vomit. I plastered on a dazzling smile, smoothed down my dress, and forced my shaking legs towards the light. I can do this. I am not my mother. I can do this. Cameras and bright lights blocked the studio audience from view. But I pretended to see them as I smiled, waved, and mouthed, Thank you. With this, I turned away from the lights and came face to face with Chad Block, who was clapping as wildly as the audience. Jeez, he's hot. Six foot something with sun-kissed blonde hair and those trademark blue eyes of his, Chad Block was the most effective painkiller I'd ever seen. My butt pain, arm throbbing, and nausea diminished in a way that was nearly mystical. Blowing him a kiss, which he pretended to catch and put in his pocket, I made my way to the handsome host. Chad took my hands and lightly kissed me on the cheek. He he smelled straight-up divine, like sandalwood and fresh mint. And to my surprise, he lingered at my cheek to whisper, Are you okay? Never better, I replied, widening my smile. With this, Chad released me and gestured to the navy blue couch beside his desk. "'Please, Drew, make yourself comfortable. Welcome to my humble abode.' I sat down and turned to him. He wiped the corner of one of his eyes. I smiled into those blue eyes of his, trying to remember how old he was. "'I think he's 26. That's only 10 years older than me. I could work with that.' He gave me a pointed look and wiped the corner of his eye again. "'Wait a second. Is he trying to tell me something?' While the audience's applause died down, Chad's lips twitched with a smile. He glanced down at his desk and then back at me. So, hi, Drew, the audience laughed. Why are they laughing? Confused, I looked at the audience. No one was telling them to laugh. But for some reason, every one of the potato-faced randos occupying a chair was cackling. I realized that my best option was to pretend like I was in on the joke. So I giggled and said, hi, Chad, how's, go- how's it going? I shifted around on the couch and accidentally moved my bad arm a little too far to the left. The temporarily plugged pain sprung a leak, making me wince. I covered the wince with a quick smile and glanced at Chad. My heart plunged when I saw that he was frowning at me. Forgive me, he said, but I have to ask, while you were backstage, did you and Stagehand Sam get into a fight? Stagehand Sam? This must be a joke. I nodded and faked a chuckle. Yep, knock down, drag out. The audience laughed, and I turned to give them a conspiratorial smile when I caught a glimpse of myself in one of the camera's view screens, Blotches of makeup and mascara had given me raccoon eyes, and a large white stain, care of Lenora's crushed pills, graced the shoulder of my once-beautiful black Versace dress. Oh my God, I look like a crackhead on live television. Over two million people are watching this. So what was that fight about, Chad asked. I tried not to panic. Thinking quickly, I clasped my clammy palms together in my lap and said the first thing that came to mind. We were arguing about which one of my movies is the best. Well, that was a pretty rough fight. I think we managed to get some footage. Chad pointed to a camera just ahead and said, Let's see it. Footage? I watched Chad motion to a guy who sat off stage, surrounded by camera equipment. At the sight of the gesture, the man nodded and bent down, working on something. I guessed he was trying to recover a clip that would somehow save this unscripted moment. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in on Saturdays at 1 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.